0: Do you remember the first time you told your spouse that those magical words, I love you? you remember when it was? Do you remember where it was? Um, do you remember the feeling and excitement of saying it back to your spouse? And the thrill of thinking that those three little words, I love you, was the beginning of a great love relationship that would last the rest of your life. Imagine a scenario with me tonight that there is a couple, a spouse that have, a husband and wife that have said that to one another. They've been married and for a number of years enjoyed that wonderful love that was expressed in those words. But as time passed, um, the love interest was waning. And one of the spouses becomes deaf to those wonderful words. The words are still given by the other spouse. The, I love you is still said and meant. But over the years, they become deaf to it and actually even blind to it because now all they're able to see is the love they have for a new person in their life, and one that they have chosen instead of their spouse. You see, they have a different Totally different set of ears and eyes now. The spouse that has been abandoned, forsaken, knows all of this. Knows all the things that the other person in the marriage has done. And is rightfully angry. I mean, really angry. And the spouse that has been unfaithful knows that they deserve it. They just deserve the anger of the other one. And in their mind, they begin to think, what hope is there? Really, what hope is there that there could possibly ever be a love relationship between them ever again? See, as you read this part of the book of Isaiah in the end of chapter 42 and the beginning of 43, that's the very context that Israel is in. From the very first moment that God formed them, those are his words in the beginning and end. It frames this text in verse 1 and 7. He uses the word formed, created. He named them. Those three things. God said from the very time that I made you as a nation, Israel, that I loved you. And over the time, as years passed, my love for you has never changed. But unfortunately, theirs had. They had become If you can read it with me in Isaiah 42 and verse 18, which is the paragraph leading into our text tonight, God says to them, Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger and whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? See, Israel over these years. God still told them that he loved them, but they became deaf to those words. God demonstrated in so many ways that he cared about them deeply, but they had become blind to it. They had become blind to it. And as you can imagine, as it would be in any relationship, marriage relationship between God and his people, that he was angry. In fact, the chapter 42 ends in this way. So poured, he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. God had to bring people in to punish them. God had to pour out his anger on them. He set them on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up and he did not take it to heart. See, God was trying to provoke them. God was trying to bring them back, but they weren't listening. And so we come to our text tonight, and really the very first two words are absolutely unfathomable. They're unbelievable. And in this very context where Israel has become deaf and blind and having to be punished from God and thinking in their minds and their hearts as a nation that there's absolutely no way they could ever restore this relationship of love with God, he starts out, but... Now, I know how things are. I know how they look. I know what our experience together has been over these last number of years. But now, God is saying it can be different. The word but now, that little phrase, always denotes a complete change from one circumstance to another. It often denotes that there is a new relationship that can be brought about as a result. That's how it's used in the New Testament. Let me give you a few examples. Ephesians two in verse 13 describes Gentiles and people who were unbelievers before they became Christians in this way. He says that you were separated from Christ. He goes that you were aliens from the promises of God, strangers to His covenant." And then it says in Ephesians 2:13, "But now, but now in Christ, those who were afar off have been brought." near see the change you used to be distant from god used to be out there away from god but now that's all change god says but now things are different same book ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8 he says you were once darkness but now you are light in the lord so walk as children of light very similar use in first peter chapter 2 and verse 10 he says you were not a people but now you are a people of God. You had not received mercy. And then he says it again. But now you have received mercy. See, every time the little phrase but now is used, it's about an exchange. It's about a complete change in relationships. It's about you are here and now you are here. It's the proverbial before and after scenario. And that's what God says. God says, my people have become deaf and blind and they have gone away from me, but it doesn't have to stay that way. See, God has brought you to listen to this service tonight and this message in particular because he wants to whisper those two little words in your ear. I know that you've been estranged from me. I know that you've gone down roads that you should never have gone down. I know that you're doing things that are in disobedience to my word. Your parents may not know. Your friends may not know. Your spouse may not even know. But can I tell you, I know. I know where you are. I know what's been going on in your life. But now, but now it it can be different. I'd like you to turn over just one page and see how God continues to use it in his discussion with Israel. Chapter 43, just at the end of our chapter, in verses 27 and 28, he says, Your first father sinned, your ancestors, and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. He says, this is what you deserve. This is how you've been acting. 441, see it? But now. It doesn't have to be that way, Jacob. I've chosen you, he says. I've made you. I formed you. See, I can change you if you'll come to me and repent. Perhaps the most important or most famous one in Isaiah's book is chapter 64, if you'll turn there. It's the verse that most people can quote, the Filthy Rags and Righteousness text. Let me tell you the setting of it, though. In Isaiah 64, in verse 4, it reads, From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear nor eye has seen a God beside you. Why is God so unique, who acts for those who wait for him? Yet you meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you are angry and we sinned. And in our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? In other words, is there hope that we could really be right with you, God? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, he says. We fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. They have gone away from him. For those, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. God, we've been so unrighteous, so ungodly, so far away from you. That's who we are, God. Is there any hope? Well, verse 8 says, But now. See, now I'm your father, God says. See, now I can forgive you, I can bring you back. Israel believed that that probably wasn't possible, that that's never going to happen. And they were afraid to even look in God's direction and think that there's a possibility that they could be redeemed and restored back to him. And so in our text, he wants to bring them back. He wants to woo them. He wants to bring them to a place where they're willing to repent of their sins so they can be restored back to him. And he does it with the two little commands that both bracket this text. And that is the commands to fear not. The first one is in verse 1. And the second one is in verse 5. The little phrase, fear not, is used 11 times in the book of Isaiah. 10 out of the 11 are in the last half of the book. Chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah tell all about Israel and why they are sinning against God and why they are going to be exiled and why God has anger and why he has to punish them. The second half of the book, chapters 40 through 66, are God's plans and what he is going to do in the life of the nation of Israel To bring them back to him. And in that section of the book is where you find 10 out of the 11 fear nots. Why? Because God doesn't want his people to think that he doesn't love them. That they are too far gone. That they have pushed him too far away. See, maybe as you're here and you're watching tonight in that sense. That you believe, Pastor Walker, if you really just knew what I've done. Even as a Christian, the things I've said, the places I've been. There's no way that God would want me back. There's no way that God, I'm afraid to come to God. I I really don't even want to darken the door of a church, even if it was open. And God whispers to you, fear not. Fear not. And with these two fear not phrases, he's going to add three reasons of why he still loves them. And they're all marked off, similar to this morning, with a little word for So look at them one at a time with me, if you would, tonight. 43 in verse 1. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he formed you as a nation, O Israel, is what he means. First one, fear not. See the word for, here's why. Here's why you don't have to fear coming to me and think that all there will be is anger and judgment. Fear not, because if you come back and repent to me, he says, and now notice, fear not is based on, look what all the things I've done for you in the past. And in these first four verses, the verbs are in the past tense, created, formed, redeemed, E.D., called. See, God says, I've loved you since the very beginning. When I formed you, shaped you, when I called you out of Egypt to be a nation for me, he says, listen, God says, I prove my love to you over and over. I did it in a very personal way. And I did it in a very public way. And he calls it in this way. I redeemed you. See, I paid the price to bring you out of the slavery that you had. For them, it was physical to bring them out of the bondage of Egypt. God said, remember I brought you out of Egypt. I led you through the waters of the Red Sea and I conquered all the Egyptians so that you would see them no more. When you came to Canaan, I still worked for you. I brought you through the river Jordan. I crossed you into the Canaan land and I gave you cities that weren't yours. I defeated your enemies for you, even in times when you didn't believe in me. And later when you sinned against me and I had to bring you to Babylon. See, I brought you through the fiery furnace and I brought you through the test and trials. And why did I stay with you all these years, he says. God says, because you're mine. See the text? I have called you by your name. I haven't forgotten who you are. Can I tell you tonight, take courage. Don't be afraid to come back to God. Don't be afraid to give your life to him. Don't be afraid to surrender and submit your life to him. You know why? He hasn't forgotten who you are. He hasn't forgotten where you are. Because if you truly know him he says you're mine you're mine see I paid the price for you and the next verse is absolutely beautiful because what he's going to do is recount Israel's history of the past love that he's had for them and the major events that I just mentioned to you and here's what God's going to say as I read them please hear them this way he says, remember what I've done for you in the past? Let me tell you, in the present, present time, I would do it all again. Even though you've rebelled against me, even though you don't value me, even though you don't reciprocate my love always the way that you should, here's what God says, I would do it all again for you. And he says it this way in these two phrases beginning with the word when in verse 2. When you pass through the waters... I'll be with you. See, there is no new Red Sea event that I wouldn't do for you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. There's no obstacle like the Jordan River and entering into Canaan. See, there are no obstacles that I wouldn't take care for you. When you walk through the fire and like Daniel, you're in the fiery furnace, you shall not be burned. I mean, when you are like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, remember what it said about them, that they didn't even smell of smoke. God says, see, you won't be burned. There won't even be the smell of smoke on you. God says, because why? Because I am with you. A few chapters earlier, Isaiah 41.10, God says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my righteous right hand. God says there is no Egypt. There is no Canaanite, there is no Babylonian that can stand in your way if I'm with you. If you come back to me, you surrender your life to me, you give yourself to me, you repent of your sins. God says, I'll be with you just like I was with Israel before, and I will do it again. Why? Because you're mine, he says. So can I say to you tonight, when God says, fear not, He does not mean that if you come back to him and you surrender your life to him, that doesn't mean that there won't be floods and there won't be flames, because there will. See, coming back to God does not make your life perfectly easy or calm or without potholes for sure. There will be tough times. In fact, there may be times of impossible situations, things that you cannot handle on your own. There'll be situations that look like that they're dead ends. That there's absolutely no way out of this one, that there's no escape from this one. But God says when you pass, circle it in all three examples, through the waters. See, through the waters, through the rivers through the fire see when God loves you and you are his it does not exempt you from the rivers from the waters or from the fires it does not mean that there will not be floods and flames you will go through them but what he promises is that when you go through them you don't go through them alone because he's with you that's the promise He doesn't promise to get you around them. He doesn't promise to bring you over them. He says, I'll walk through them with you. See, the ability to fear not in the most difficult circumstances, i.e. coronavirus, is possible not because of the absence of floods and flames, but because God says, I'm with you through them, through them. I would guess probably still that one of the most favorite verses in the Bible, still at difficult times, especially at funerals, is still still Psalm 23. And right smack dab in the middle of that memorable and favorite psalm is this little phrase in verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God says, I'll be with you. Even in the most difficult journey, even the one that perhaps may lead to danger and death, God says, I won't stop it from happening, but I will walk with you through it. So may I say tonight in God's behalf from his word, fear not. Fear not when you go through the cancer. Why? Because God says, I'll be with you. See, don't be afraid fear not when you go through times where you struggle with depression you just struggle with anxiety God says don't be afraid because I'll be with you fear not when you go through surgery and you're not sure how the outcome will be or what the ramification will be on your health and your future God says fear not because I'm with you Fear not when you go through the furnace of failure. You're not sure that you're ever going to get to the place in your career that you wanted to or you're ever going to have the relationship you wanted to. And when things don't go your way, he says, fear not. I'll walk you through those things in your life. Fear not when you go through the flood or the financial ruin or when you go through the friendship betrayal or the fatal diagnosis. God says, fear not. And the reason is not because the floods aren't real, not because the flames don't really burn, but because God says, I'm with you every step of the way. A really, really enjoyable song that I like is by Mark Schultz, and it's entitled, Walking Her Home. It's really just a song about a husband's devotion to his wife. It goes along with my metaphor as I open the, the sermon tonight. And it says how excited he was on their first date and he was able to hold her hand and walk her home um, to her dad's house and then he remembers getting married and and loving her on that day and how wonderful it was and then a number of years later when they had their first child and he was there holding her hand as she brought their uh, baby boy into the world and as all the years passed it says they were together for 60 years 60 years And the song says, he walked her through the best years of her life. He walked her through them. And then it says, and he never left her side. I thought, what a beautiful thought. That's marriage, isn't it? A good marriage, a faithful marriage, is that someone walks you through life. Holding your hand, never leaving your side through all the good times. But see, God goes a step better. God doesn't just walk us through the best years of our life. He walks us through all the years of our life. And he walks us through even the hardest and even the worst years of our life. And he never leads our side. Why would God do that? because that love pastor Walker I'll be honest with you it almost seems like it's too good to be true. I mean if God really knows what I'm all about then I tell him that I really know him but I don't act like it. Why would he want, why would he want me? He says, "Well, let me tell you the reason. See the next word for for I am the Lord your God." There's the reason. For I'm the Lord, I'm your God, the holy one of Israel. I'm your savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange to you. You know why I would give exchange? You know why I value you above all the nations? You know why I choose you? It's nothing in you, he says. Because I've chosen to love you that way, verse 4. He says, because you were precious in my eyes. And he wants you to know you're being precious and me honoring you. And at the end of the verse saying I love you is not, hear me, It's not based on your personal value and worth although you have worth and honor in his sight. Deuteronomy says that when God chose Israel and they wanted to know why they chose, they, God chose them above all the nations, he says it wasn't because you were bigger, it wasn't because you were better. God says, I love you because I love you. See, God has a different kind of love than we're used to. He has a love that is enables us not to be afraid of approaching him because God loves us and handles the fact that we have turned away from him. not because he likes it but because he forgives it if we come to him and repent and turn away from it. God says I want you to come back. I still want you to return. Why? Because you're precious to me. I honor you, and the word honor means to value, to hold weight. God says, if I have you on the scales, you still bring weight in my life. I still value, I still want you, Why? because I've chosen to love you, and I still choose to love you, he says. He says, I gave men for you, I gave people, honored you, and you were precious in my eyes, he says. The reality is God just sees you differently. Despite all your weaknesses and failures, if you're his, he says, I see you differently than I do anyone else. We've shown this video a couple times in years past, but uh, have patience with me. I I love watching it and I want you to watch it tonight. And I want you to see that this is how God in his love sees you.
1: Blessed are you as you tremble and wait for the first stone thrown at your sinful door? standing alone. The fear on their faces is all that you know. Blessed are you, lonely widow who gave your last shiny coin to Yahweh. Blessed are you with your silver and light nice, Kissing
0: As the song we just watched says, not only does God see yesterday, but he sees all of our tomorrows. And so there are two fear nots in our text. The first one God uses to say, look, I still love you. And look at all the things I've done for you in the past. That proves it. But in verses 5 through 7, the second one, he says, fear not. And he repeats it again, for I'm with you. But this time all the verbs are in the future tense. And God says, now I look to the past to know that I love you, but the plans I have for you in the future, I know right now you can't see that you could ever become this kind of nation, that this would ever happen to you, that you would experience this kind of freedom and joy, God says. He says, but I want you to know that I'm with you. And so God's going to bring them back from exile. And tonight I want you to see... And how God looks at, or the extent, and the scope of how far will God go to bring them back. How far would God go to bring you back? he says, fear not, verse 5, I am with you. And notice God's with you statements also are followed up to give confidence. He gives three I will statements. He says, I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I'll gather you. He says the second I will. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons and my daughters from the ends of the earth, he says. See, I will. I will. I will gather you. I will bring you. I will say to you. See, the three times. See, God says "This, this is how much I love you. I am willing to go in any direction. Very, very rarely in the Old Testament, does God ever use all four points of the compass, north, south, east, and west, to say anything? But here he does. He uses a very abnormal phrase to show his people really how much he loves them, that he is willing to go in any direction to find them. And it doesn't matter how, where they've gone and the direction they've gone. In any direction of the compass, God says, I will bring you back no matter where you've gone to, he says. See, tonight, if you, if you repent, if you're willing to come back to God, if you're willing to accept, again, his invitation of love, God says, I'm willing to orchestrate history. I'm willing to orchestrate nations. I will go to this nation in this direction. And, see, I will go into all those nations and bring you back. Say, God, I can, I can work through any nation, any part of history to bring you back. But God doesn't say no matter what direction only. God says, I love you so much that not only I would go in any direction, but I would cover any distance. And he uses two phrases. He says, I will bring my sons, verse 6, and my daughters from afar. See, he says in the next phrase, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. So God says, no matter what the direction and no matter what the distance, I'm willing to cover it because I want you back that much. You know, today in our 21st century vernacular to express our love for someone, we might say something like, I love you to the moon and back. Meaning there isn't any any distance that I wouldn't go, even to the moon and back, to show my love for you. And God says, I love you not just to the moon and back, but in Jesus he says, I love you to the cross and back. God says, I'm able to gather you from any direction to be my children, and I have... The, the privilege of giving you the opportunity to come back to me no matter who you are tonight. So if you hear this and you're in the northern America or southern America or east and west or any part of the globe, God says, see, I can bring you back to me. And he did it through the cross. That's how far God would go. He would bring people from the farthest distance and he can bring you nigh to him. You can have a personal, intimate relationship with him again. Because God is willing to go in any direction and any distance. See, God's love for us is transcendent meaning he can cover directions and distances that nobody else can do to prove and express and demonstrate his love for you. But it's not just transcendent. It's not just this big God who can love you and find you anywhere. Yes, it's true, but let me tell you this. It's also imminent because in verse 6 he says, Say to my sons. Now that is common. Israel being called God's son. Out of Israel, Hosea 11.1, I have called my son. And for God to call his people sons is very common, but what is very unique, in fact, the only time it's ever used in the entire Bible is in this text, and he calls his people not only my sons, but my daughters. See, God tonight is not just talking collectively. He's not just inviting you back as a whole, and he is doing that. He is inviting the whole nation, but he's also saying, I care about every single individual God knows tonight as he sees your life, individually, personally, all that you're going through, all that you've chosen to have in your life, many times because of your own sinful choices. And God says, I still know all that about you. And you're my son, or you're my daughter, and I want you back. It's like the prodigal son waiting at the edge of the porch to see his son walk down the street and come back, and he doesn't really care what you look like now because God says, you know what I have? I have a future. I have a plan for you. And God says, I want you to come back because you are my son, my daughter. He goes on to say, because you are called by my name. And lastly, can I say, why would God do this? What would motivate him? Look at me, Pastor Walker. Do you see what I'm into? Do you see what my life is about? You see how far? Why would God do it? Because it's his name. Listen to this. Because he created you for my glory. See, can I tell you? God's love for you is about you. But more so, it's about his glory. God wants you to come back to him. And he wants you not to be afraid to do it. You know why? Because he has a plan. And the plan is this for your life. He wants you to live out the purpose for which you were made. The purpose for which you exist. And that is to give him glory. That's why he wants it. He wants to shine the life of his son, Jesus Christ, through you. So God ends the passage with this. I created you for my glory whom I formed and made. See, Israel, I made you brand new back in the day when I first made you a nation. And here he says, I can make you a new creation. I can use those same terms I use in verse one because I want to make you brand new. I want to form you, shape your life. I want it to be as if I started over with you. I can do that because my love is both transcendent and imminent. It can change your life and make you new. And perhaps you're watching tonight and you've never had new life. You don't know what it's like to have someone love you like that, with a love that would go any direction for you, any distance for you, a love that wants to take who you are right now and shape your life and form you and make you into a new creation. Can I tell you, you can find that love in one place, and that's in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on Calvary's tree to pay the penalty for your sins, and he rose again from the grave so that he could make this promise to you that he could share his love with you for all eternity. If you've never come to been made new in him, to find him as your personal Lord and Savior, tonight I encourage you to do so. And if you are a child, a son, or a daughter of God, come back. He still has plans for you. Plans to help you to live for his glory. Let's pray. Father, There are, I'm sure, people tonight that have been here and have heard my voice and more so, hopefully, your voice from Isaiah 43. And they know the reality and truth if they're honest about where they stand right now in their relationship with you. And Father, there's fear, there's intrepidation, there's, in their life, a wall that they've built between you and them. And they think that the wall cannot be broken But Father, they don't know how great and amazing your love really is. I pray tonight through your word and spirit that you would break through that wall and bash it and break it down. That they would see what kind of love that you have for them. And how far you would love them, that you would love them even to the cross. For those who are listening right now and would like to begin a relationship with, As a new creature in Christ, I pray right now that they might put their faith and trust in you. They might call out, see themselves as sinners in need of a Savior because that's what you said you are. You're the Holy One. You're our Savior. They might call on you, ask your forgiveness, repent of their sins, surrender their lives to your Lordship, and know what it means to be made into a new creation. And for your children tonight, your sons and daughters who've been afar off, would they be moved and melted by your love? So they would return to you, Father, and they would know that you love them because all that you've done for them in the past and for the plans that you have for them in the future, may that move them and motivate them that they may say with the Apostle Paul that they would no longer live for themselves, but for him who has died for them and was raised on the third day. And we'll thank you for all these rich blessings, for it's in the name and through the mighty blood of our Lord Jesus Christ we ask it. Amen. Lord bless.